When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Defense mechanisms are your brain's mostly unconscious way of avoiding conflict, anxiety, or upset. And although they get a bad rap, defense mechanisms are a necessary part of your psychology, and some are even considered healthy. Today, you'll gain some self-awareness and insight as you learn all about defense mechanisms and where you fit. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Abby Medcalf, and I'm a practicing psychologist, number one Amazon best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and all-around relationship maven with over 35 years of experience helping people just like you. Join me as I teach you actionable tips and strategies to create connection, joy, and ease in all your relationships. So let's get to it. Welcome back to the podcast. Here I am, Dr. Abby Metcalf. You know who you're listening to. I don't know why I say that every time, but I do. And you know, we all love each other, so we'll put up with it. I am very excited. The By the time you listen, this is what's hard. I record the podcasts, you know, sometimes a couple months in advance or more. And uh, my book is coming out in November. So by the time you listen to this, I think it'll be the end of October. And, or maybe you listen months later of 2023 and my book should be out in mid-November. So I'm really excited. And that is the Boundaries Made Easy book. It is everything I've ever taught, know, learned about boundaries. Boundaries are the answer to every problem you have. Trust me, it's getting better ones. So I will keep announcing here on the podcast when the book launches. Um, you'll be able to get that, uh, you know, hard copies, you know, uh, uh, electronic, paperback, um, and I'll have an audio version also um, coming out, I think, in December. So the audio drops about a month after, the audio version of the book will drop about a month after the book comes out. So if you want to wait for that, you can. Um, And that's it. So let's get to it. This is a good topic today, people. I know. You're excited. So I, I, as I mentioned in the intro, Defense mechanisms can be deemed healthy or unhealthy, or as we psychologists say, maladaptive or adaptive. And I'm going to be sharing a big list with you today, but please know that list is not exhaustive. It's not in any particular order. So there you have it. And I'm going to be sharing the more popular ones that we know about, of course, and then, um, and the ones that are probably more maladaptive. And then I'll be getting into the ones that are more adaptive that could be healthier. Any defense mechanism when used the, you know, in an extreme, of course, is unhealthy. So, uh, but we'll, we'll get to all that. And then I've got three tips at the end. Cause you know me, I can't, I can't not give you tips. I can't not give you actionable tools to walk away with. So let's get to it. So the first, uh, defense mechanism I want to talk about is projection. I think I have like 10 of these, so get ready. Um, but I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. Um, projection and projection is when you have feelings or qualities you don't like about yourself and you 
project them onto other people and the most you you kind of put them on other people. So the most common example of this is when you don't like someone but you say that they don't like you. That that's what I see all the time. I'll have someone like like uh, I've had this where clients have said in the past, "Well, I didn't think you liked me." And I'm like, "I don't think you liked me cuz I I, you know, I know I liked you." So it's and it's okay if you <laughs> Although I guess not for a therapeutic relationship so much, although sometimes it could be very helpful. Um, if you meet with a therapist and you don't like them right away, I would still check it out. I, I always tell people go to a therapist five times before, at least three, I'll say that at least three to five times, unless they felt like something really triggering and abusive, uh, obviously get out of there. But a lot of times you might not like something in someone, but they're the best person for you when it comes to therapy. Um, that's not always true. Sometimes you have a, a good first instinct that it's not a good fit and it's just not. But it's important, I think, to let yourself relax into the process a little bit and see. Being with a therapist is a lot like dating and sometimes, you know, you got to go on a few dates before you can be sure. But uh, anyway, so I and, I and I do see projection showing up in couples because uh, I'm going to try to talk about, you know, individuals, couples, work, whatever. But um I think the most common thing I see in couples is where one person is cheating, but they're accusing their partner of cheating. And, you know, really what, so, you know, you've probably had that situation. Someone listening right now has had that situation themselves. They had a, themselves, they had a partner at some point who was cheating and it was accusing them of cheating. They thought they were crazy and they found out later that the partner was cheating and you think, oh my gosh, how dastardly, how they were really like, what a narcissist and this and that. And I will tell you that, yeah, they might've been a narcissist, but not everybody who cheats is a narcissist. And, you know, I hate when people throw that word around and they might, it, believe it or not, it might be, a, have been an unconscious defense mechanism because their, their psyche is trying to preserve their their self-image, what they think of themselves by justifying what they're doing. And if, if you're cheating, but then decide your partner is cheating, you, you know, you're kind of letting yourself off the hook. Your behavior is no longer so bad and you don't have to feel so guilty. You know, if your partner's doing something wrong, then what I'm doing, you know, you can uh, rationalize it, which is another um, defense mechanism I'll talk about. But I, I do want to say that projection, you know, that th those are the way it shows up. Those are the ways it shows up. And for you yourself, really take a look when you're always thinking that someone doesn't like you or that person's mad at me. Really just take a minute and check in and see if you're the one who doesn't like them. And if you're the one who is angry at them, just, just take that second and check in because it doesn't mean it's not true that they're feeling it too, but that's not important. What's important is what you're feeling and what your reactions are. And if you're having this as a defense mechanism, um, that when you don't like someone you project, you know, that's a problem. You, you want to, you want to look at that, right? You want to help yourself through that and get clearer about your own feelings. Okay. Number two is the one we've all heard about denial. Denial is probably, I think the most commonly referenced and known of all the defense mechanisms, but in my experience, it's often used incorrectly because we, we just say it all the time. True denial is when someone refuses to accept facts or really what we would consider objective reality. Denial is not lying to yourself, okay? It's not lying to yourself. If, if you know something and then you sort of pretend you don't, that's not denial, okay? Denial, it, with denial, you really don't think that you're lying about something. You truly don't see it. And I know that's hard to believe when something is so obvious to other people. But when someone's in true denial, it's because, you know, the emotional impact of whatever the thing is, is just, it's just too big a burden to bear. So the event is blocked from your mind. And a great example of this is a person in the beginning stages of drug or alcohol addiction. You know, um, you really, truly don't think you have a problem, but you know, you might've had two DUIs, uh, someone divorced you or left you because of it. You lost your job or any number of things to tie directly to your use, but believe it or not, I mean, this was happening to me in my own life and my own addiction. I... I did not put those things together. There was a time when I didn't 
really believe, I thought people were overreacting. And especially, you know, I was younger and there was a lot of college kids doing drugs and alcohol. My God, if you, if you took any sample of college kids, they would, and you just thought of the criteria for drug or alcohol addiction or, you know, uh, substance use disorders, we now say, a lot of people would fit it. But then those people would make a different choice and go like, oh my God, I got a DUI. Whoa, I, I got to stop drinking and drive, you know, and they just never do it again. That's the sign of someone who does not have a, have a problem. They, they can see what it is. That's, it's one of the problems with addiction is that we really, our judgment is skewed and we really don't see it um, in the beginning. Uh, another example, and I'll tell you the biggest case of denial I ever had, and I have shared this on the podcast before, uh, it's been a while, but when I, way back in my early years of counseling, I worked at, um, St. Luke's Roosevelt hospital in New York city. And, um, I remember this woman, I was doing a, like a round in the emergency room and this woman came in and with this huge, it looked like she had like three breasts, for lack of a better way to say it. I mean, it was just enormous, this physical growth on her, in her breast area. And um, she had breast cancer. She died within four days of being in the hospital. She had, she had fallen somewhere and fainted, but did not know that, like, so this thing was growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger, but she was the mother of, I want to say four kids. I'm 99% sure if it's three or four. And she was a single mom. She was working two jobs. Like she couldn't be sick and she couldn't leave her children. Like it couldn't be a possibility to have cancer. So even though she had this growth and it was very obvious and she obviously should have had it checked a long time ago, she didn't. And in those days, people didn't have health insurance, you know, like um, here in the United States, that was common and you just didn't carry health insurance. And so there was like no way for her mind to make sense of any world where she had cancer or she had a problem that had to be addressed because she couldn't stop working. She couldn't stop taking care of her kids. So she quote unquote ignored it. But again, it was unconscious. She just, her brain took over and made it not real for her. So she wasn't lying to herself. She wasn't looking at it every day and going, Oh my God, I have a problem. I have to check this out. She, her brain was just ignoring it. And I remember her saying things like, well, it wasn't that it wasn't big. Like I barely noticed it. I mean, meanwhile, like her bras didn't fit. I mean, it, it was crazy. That is probably the most extreme case of denial I've ever seen and very sad and, and horrific, but uh, that's how much it can show up. Okay. Uh, another defense mechanism. The third one I'm going to talk about is passive aggression, right? Passive aggressive people are all about, I've talked about this, you know, I did a whole podcast on how to deal with passive, passive aggressive people. You can go check that out. So I'm not going to get too into it here, but they're all about the indirect expression of their feelings. So, you know, you can get a, I don't know, a cold shoulder freeze out, a, a backhanded compliment. Um, wow. I'm, I'm so impressed that you don't seem to care that you're carrying extra weight and you just walk around in those shorts, you know, <laughs> or, you know, or martyrdom and the intended guilt trip. Uh, uh, never mind, I'll just do it myself. That was big in my house. Uh, being passive aggressive is a very common defense mechanism that I think we see all the time. And again, I have an entire episode dedicated to dealing with passive aggressive people, including my top six tips for dealing with them. So you can go uh, check that out on your own. Um, you can search for that on any of the any of the platforms that you listen to the podcast on, or you can come to the website. Okay. Uh, repression is what I'm going to say is number four. Again, these are in no particular order. Repression is when you've got painful memories or just deeply negative or irrational beliefs and your unconscious mind, again, these are unconscious, you're not doing it consciously. Your unconscious mind will sometimes deal with those um, by, they'll deal, it'll deal with that you know, those beliefs and, and something so deeply traumatizing by burying those thoughts and memories. And of course, these memories are often impacting your behavior, even if you think, you know, you've forgotten them, even if you don't remember them. So, and you know, an adult who doesn't necessarily remember being sexually abused as a child might have difficulty trusting in their adult partnerships. They might avoid sex completely. They might become overly sexualized and have sex with lots of people. Um, all those things are part of 
the repression, you know, there, there are ways that it, you know, acting out, you could say is a, um, defense mechanism. I don't really put it there. I think it's a symptom of other defense mechanisms, but, um, like repression. Um, but you know, there are ways that it can show up later, even if you, uh, don't, you know, don't remember the event at all or, or, you know, consciously, or maybe remember something much smaller, you know, like, you know, just something like that's kind of shadowy. Um, but it can really show up in your relationships. So that's a good example of that. Number five is regression. And regression is when someone feels anxious or threatened in some way and tries to unconsciously escape to an earlier uh, developmental stage. And, you know, what you see the most commonly is, let's say uh, you have a child and they're, they turn four or five and then you end up having another child, right? Um, and that older child will start sucking their thumb again. They might want to be picked up all the time. They might even say out loud, you know, oh, I'm a baby. I, you know, I'm a baby. I'm, a, I'm the baby. It's things like that. Um, that's, that's a little bit of a regression. It's not anything to get crazy. You know, don't like take them to a psychiatrist or anything, but it's something to notice what it is. And it's, you know, the little brain not being able to quite put everything together. In adults, this might be someone who, um, you know, forged through their life always doing the right thing. And then, you know, they were just that person. They just like, you know, went to the right school and, and did good well in school and, and married the right person and all the things. And then there's like a, sometimes we call this a midlife crisis. Um, there can be a crisis of sorts and they start acting like a teenager sort of, you know, they might start cheating, you know, having sex with a lot of people, forgetting their responsibilities, uh, compulsive. What I see in my practice is people who start compulsively eating comfort foods from their childhood. I had another client who was uh, compulsively chewing on like pencils and pen tops and things like that. You know, it's something you do in, in, when you're a kid. Well, back in the day, we had pens and pencils. I don't know if they have those in school anymore. Um, <laughs> I think it just everyone's on their laptop. Um, but anyway, you know what I mean? There's like these behaviors that are uh, from an earlier developmental time. And that's, again, if you're noticing this about yourself, it's something to look at. It's something to stop. None of what I'm saying today is meant to make you feel bad or pigeonhole you, you know me, it's never my intention, but it is my intention for you to be very self-aware and know why you're doing what you're doing so that you can change things that don't work for you. Um, that's my intention with this entire broadcast. Okay. Displacement is another common one. I, Maybe this is the most common one I see. I'm going to say this about every one now. <laughs> but this one I see, a, I see this way more than I see denial. I'll tell you that right now. Um, displacement is when you, I want to say this well, it's when you have a feeling you believe you can't express for some reason. So you believe you have this, you have this feeling and you believe for some reason you can't express it with someone. And this is unconscious, Okay. And then you direct that anger, frustration, anxiety, that upset onto someone or something else that for some reason doesn't feel as threatening to you. So an easy example of displacement is, you know, you're really mad at your boss at work. Maybe you were passed over for a promotion or something like that. And you don't feel, you're unconsciously, you don't feel obviously that it's safe to go scream at your boss and yell and kick and do things. So then you come home from work and, you know, you're, you're not talking about it because, you know, you're like, you're, maybe your boss has even said something like, you know what, you got passed over this promotion, here's why, but there's another one coming in six months, that one's yours. Maybe they even had a good, really good reason for not giving you the raise. Maybe, you know, the company didn't do well this year. I don't know. There, there can even be a very rational, reasonable reason, but you're still mad. And especially in those times, you really don't think it's okay to say anything because there's a, a good reason why something happened. So you end up coming home and, you know, kicking the dog, snapping at your kids. Uh, you, you know, your kids left a dish on the table and you're losing your shit. Your dog didn't like, you need to open the door for them to go out back to go to the bathroom and they're not move. The dog isn't moving fast enough and you're yelling, you know, or slamming things. Maybe you throw something. Um, that's all dis displacement. In that case, it's displaced anger, but, uh, and that's usually how I see it. 
but it does come up quite a bit um, where people have a lot of stress at work and then come home and do stuff at home. But it can also happen if you're really angry at your mom or your dad or someone that you feel like for whatever reason or your friend who you can't really express something to. And so you take it out somewhere else. That's really what it is. Okay. Rationalization is the seventh one I'm going to talk about when you, (laughs) you've heard of this a lot. And when you rationalize, basically what you're doing is you're justifying um, a feeling, you know, and, or you justify your feeling you don't like having, you know, or something you've done with your own facts or logic about it. And you, you rationalize because deep down at that unconscious or even semi-conscious level, you know that what you're thinking or doing isn't right. It doesn't align with your values, but you want to feel okay about the choice you've made. So you rationalize. And actually, probably the most common thing I hear is people rationalizing by saying they had no choice. Um, You always have a choice. You always have a choice. Sorry. You know me. No victims on this podcast. No victims on this podcast. You always have a friggin' choice. So uh, I will tell you, I I just had this conversation. That is why I'm probably heated up about it. I have a client whose wife doesn't want to have sex anymore, and he was having sex with other women on business trips. And he came to me because he said, I feel like my life is really falling apart. You know, I'm having sex with other women. It's not good. And my wife doesn't want to have sex. I can't, I don't feel close to her. You know, he came in with very like clear whatevers, but there was a lot of unconscious bullshit going on. I'll tell you that right now, because he would then say things like, I don't know what she expects. If she's not having sex with me, she knows I have to get it somewhere. Um, he would say, uh, oh, oh, she's probably relieved. I'm not asking her anymore. <laughs> it's that's rationalization. That's justification. That's it, it, it's, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not okay. You know, you made this, you know, if you're keeping it a secret from her and you made this vow that you weren't gonna, and it's assumed you're not going to have sex outside the marriage, then you know, it's not an okay thing to do. So it, not because that in and of itself is immoral or bad or whatever. I think sex is great. I'm saying that, but when you're lying to your partner, you know, this person that you've kind of pledged your life to in whatever, in whatever way, it doesn't matter if you're married or not to me. Um, it's all about the transparency. And so you come up with your own facts or logic about it to make yourself feel better. And that doesn't make it any different than what it is. Um, okay. Number eight is something called reaction formation. And this is a relatively common one, although the name might not be common to you. And it's when people use, uh, so when people use reaction formation, this defense mechanism, they might know how they feel, but they actually act in the opposite way of that. It's because they don't like the reaction for some reason, so they shift it. For example, a a woman might believe that it's not okay to be angry or act disappointed. So when a friend cancels plans or her, you know, she thinks her mom is taking advantage of her good nature, she might act happy about it instead of showing that frustration or that anger. uh, The person will actually be overly positive and overly accepting of whatever this behavior is. I, I see this more often with someone who, again, hates a boss or coworker but acts sort of overly friendly and glad to see them and really has, you know, shoved their real feelings away. Um, Again, because it's unconscious. It's not when you're consciously thinking, I hate my boss, but I'm going to kiss his ass. That is something very different. Um, That is calculated, you know, conniving. You're you're thinking that through. This is unconscious. You you don't even realize you're doing it. And that's the thing I want you to, again, think about right now. Think about your relationships. Think about who you know. And are you saying your true feelings to people? Are you, and your true feelings. Remember, that's not, anger is a top emotion. So what's under the anger? I I talk about this all the time. So if you're true, if you think your true feelings are frustration and rage, I would ask, and anger, I would ask for you to just take a moment and just try to go down a step. What's under that? What's under that? That's your true feelings. Um, Anger is sort of the easier of all of them to have initially. What's harder is feelings of rejection, abandonment, sadness, hurt, 
uh, fear, you know, of whatever other kind, um, that's what's harder. Okay, number nine, one of my favorites and something I have used for many, many years <laughs> is compartmentalization. And compartmentalization is one of the most uh, common defense mechanisms I see. Again, I see this one a lot. I talk to clients about this a lot. Um, compartmentalizing is when is is basically what it sounds like, I guess. You know, you're you're separating areas of your life and those corresponding memories, those thoughts and emotions into kind of independent silos. And it helps you focus in one area while putting something, you know, distressing or upsetting, uh, you know, on the proverbial shelf so that you don't get overwhelmed with emotions because there's so much there. And uh, I, I, I'm thinking now of a different client I have who, um, I haven't seen her in a long time, but She's a real kind of hard driving businesswoman who also had a huge hoarding problem at home. And she kept her work and home lives very separate. And she also kept the people in her personal life very separate from one another, making, you know, that whole worlds colliding thing, you know, making sure that worlds don't collide. And, uh, you know, so she was presenting one way what people would see and she was compartmentalizing all this other stuff. Another really common thing is when people compartmentalize trauma from their past in the same way. There's this trauma that happened, and again, it might be even repressed, but you might know it and just you compartmentalize it. It's sitting over there on a shelf, and you don't think that it has anything to do with how you're acting, you know, your rage with your partner right now. And that's, you know, obviously often a big mistake. So uh, I did this for years. I still do it a little bit. I'm going to be honest. I still compartmentalize a little. Gary teases me because there's a way that like, you know, I keep my worlds a little bit separate. You know, my crazy family. I love you if you're listening. My crazy family, you know, my <laughs> my kid, my friends. I, I, I sort of like being in my different worlds. I'm very aware that I do this. I will say that. So I don't know if it's unconscious. Um, you know, I don't know if it counts anymore as compartmentalization. There were years when I was not conscious that I was doing this. I just was doing it. So I don't, I don't know what it's called now, but I still lean towards that way. You know, I've shared before, I have a, a, an avoidant attachment style when I'm not doing my great therapy. Thank you to my therapist if she's listening. Um, you know, I've worked on myself over the years to not be avoidant. And um, it is still that little thing in me where I kind of like to keep myself outside. It's why I, I'm not a fan of social media at all. I don't I don't like my world out there. I don't post pictures of my kids all the time. I don't even like to post pictures of myself all the time. I tend to be more private, which I know is hard to believe because I share about my private life quite a bit on here. Um, but I do like, there's way, I like it to be controlled. I guess that's it. Right. Cause I'm a control freak as we all know, control enthusiast. And I like it to be controlled. Am I having a little therapy session right now? Are you getting deep into Abby's psyche right this minute? Um, <laughs> I always think it's important to share some of this stuff because otherwise I'm, you know, I can seem like this perfect person sharing perfect information and I'm certainly not, you know, I, I really, everything I teach, I, you know, I was doing this podcast, I was gathering all my information, I was looking at all the research, and I was putting things together. And I was, you know, right, I was self reflective, I was being trying to be self aware, which of these do I do? What do I still do? What did I used to do? It's always helpful for me, the podcast. And um, I learned so much about myself and my world and people around me that I love and, and you who I also love. So uh, anyway, I think it's important to share. Again, if it's not something you like, this is not the podcast for you. Um, I, I, if you don't want to hear me talk in other ways and maybe have a little tangent and come back, then then I'm not for you. Or speed up the episode, you know, to 1.5 speed and get through it. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, but I love you, and if you're here, I'm glad. So. Compartmentalization, I think it's a big one for everyone, for a lot of people, sorry, not everyone, uh, for a lot of people and something they might not realize they're doing is my big point because you're maybe a little avoidant and you don't realize that they're sort of attached because they tend to go together. Okay. And if you haven't listened, I've done lots of 
um, if you put attachment style and Abby Metcalf into whatever search engine you're in, that episode will come up. And I have a few episodes on attachment and you can listen to those. Um, and I talk about attachment theory quite a bit in my new book coming out, Boundaries Made Easy, which will be out in November 2023. Okay. <laughs> Number 10 and you'll be able to buy that on Amazon, by the way, and from my website. So no worries about where do I get it? Um, it'll be in all those places. Um, number 10 is intellectualization. That's a long one, isn't it? I'm going to take a sip of water. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. to talk about intellectualization. I have many clients. Whew, I, I'm trying to think, is this the most popular one around my client? Maybe not the most popular, but it's pretty popular. I have uh, a lot of clients who default to using their brains, not their hearts, when they're faced with difficult interpersonal situations. So when people intellectualize, they attempt to take, what they're trying to do is take all the emotion out of their thinking and responses. And they're trying to focus on, you know, the facts, the, the quantitative, the tangible facts, the proof, the evidence. And, you know, that's just not how life works. And it is a means of protecting your heart. It is very, so sometimes like in an argument or something, or, you know, even in like when I do couples work or even when I'm just speaking individually with someone, I'll, you know, kind of talk about, you know, are, where's your focus? Are you focusing on kindness with your wife, let's say, or your partner? And they'll say, well, but you know, she's not, they're not kind to me and they do this, this, and this, and they list all the things and, you know, and I have to keep bringing them back to heart. It's like, but you're in a love relationship. Does it feel loving not to be kind? So, you know, you're not in a business relation, you know, it, it's kind of run like a business if you have a household, but you know what I mean? The relationship itself is, uh, is based on love. It's based on openness and compassion, those things. It's not based on facts and things. <laughs> um, so it's a way though to try, you know, it's because that person feels so deeply that in a way it's kind of like a compartmentalization, but it's, it's how they stay safe by by using facts and tangible things to avoid emotion. So that's really what intellectualization comes down to. Uh, and the last one I'm going to talk about is disso uh, dis dissociation. Sorry, dissociation. It's not disassociation. It's dissociation. I just want to make sure I'm saying it correctly. And it, it, this one I see the most commonly with any kind of trauma survivor, but if even if you haven't had trauma, this could be something that happens for you. Um, dissociation basically happens when someone feels something is happening, right? Some feelings are coming in and they dissociate. They uh, Their psyche does. It pulls it, their, their, their mind pulls themselves out of the situation. They often report feeling untethered, um, removed numb, disconnected to what's happening around them. And often it's a reaction, again, when they've been triggered regarding an earlier trauma or an earlier thing that has gone on. And this is their brain's way of staying safe from the scary or overwhelming feelings that are associated with that. And they become uh, mentally and emotionally disengaged from whatever situation they're in and get, again, kind of numb. And 
uh, and I know if you're in a, an argument with this person, it can feel really uh, bad because it suddenly feels like the person is, doesn't care, that they're just off you know, in some other world. And I really need you to have lots of empathy for that person in those moments and see about bringing them back to you know, the conversation. Grounding techniques are really the best thing to be doing in those moments. Um, I've, gosh, I've, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna list, sorry, I'm writing it down. So I remember I'm going to have a list of grounding techniques for you. If you come over to the website, um, I have a list of them. If you don't already know them, um, from the research, of course, it's not stuff I made up and, uh, I'll have those listed. So it's a really what with dissociation, it's really the, one of the better things to do in the immediate. And if you're talking to someone who dissociates and you can tell that sort of blank look that happens, um, you can do some grounding with them. And it's very helpful. It's very easy to do. It just takes like a minute or two and it is very helpful. So I will list those um, on abbymedcalf.com forward slash. You can go to the podcast or relationship tips and tools. I always do a corresponding blog for every I would say 99.9% .9 of all the episodes so that you can easily have notes and, um, you know, download things and look at the research and all that good stuff. Um, cause all the links are there and that kind of thing. Okay. So let's get to adaptive defense mechanisms that I mentioned earlier, right? There are also more helpful defense mechanisms. And again, these are known as adaptive instead of maladaptive. And there's just a few of these. So there's number one, which is my favorite humor humor. Hello, my name is Abby and humor is my number one defense mechanism. I tend to use humor everywhere and I sprinkle it around like confetti. And again, these are conscious, not unconscious. These are things where, so sometimes you could be using humor unconsciously, right? That's true. But in a majority of the time, again, you're, you know that you're kind of making a joke or trying to ease a situation. When, I, when I'm uncomfortable in whatever situation, for me, finding humor helps me to put things in perspective. It helps me take a step back so I'm not quite so scared. That's why I do it. I, I also find that it can help me bond with whoever I'm having this difficulty with so we can get to solutions, you know, quicker and easier. So for me, sometimes maybe I'm being really controlling, like I just mentioned, and one of my kids will, uh, or I'll even notice it right away. I'm like, oh crap, I just said something ridiculous, you know, um, <laughs> like telling Gary to bring an umbrella or something, like a grown man, right? Um, and he'll kind of look at me and I was like, oh, you know, and I'll just, I'll laugh. I'll, I'll say something self-deprecating, you know, like, oh yeah, I forgot that, you know, you were in the Navy and you've been working for years and <laughs> very successful in your life without me telling you to bring an umbrella, you know, and then we can both sort of laugh a little and he knows I've seen it and, or sometimes he'll use the humor and, you know, he might say, oh my God, babe, thank you so much, you know? Uh, you know, I need an umbrella and, and like, he'll just sort of make a joke about it. And he, and not nastily, but a true, like funny, sweet kind of way. Uh, and it really helps diffuse the situation and sort of bring us back to present. Right. And like anything, like I said, humor can also be used too much and then be maladaptive. You know, if your partner is trying to have a serious conversation with you about being triggered by something you're doing, like triggering the earlier trauma, don't make a joke. It's important to understand that there's a time and a place and not everything can be made funny. But there, uh, but humor can also be that thing that helps you discharge energy that's been pent up. It's why people will laugh at a funeral kind of thing or make jokes, you know, at a funeral. Um, one of my dear, dear friends, it was just her Yortzite, um, uh, died, gosh, 16 years ago now. So no, how old's my daughter's 17 years ago now, um, from ovarian cancer. And it was just horrible. And, um, at her funeral, you know, at her, 
memorial service, I was asked to speak and I had to go up right after her daughters. Oh my God. So her daughters are up there. It's just, there's not a dry eye in the house. And there was, it was huge, you know, showing she was an incredible person and I was very honored to speak, but I did Jewish mother jokes because, because Denise was my friend. She was, um, she loved laughing. She always had a smile on her face. She had these big dimples and I knew she would love it. And I also just felt that that's what was going to be needed that day. And it's kind of my love language. It's my sort of way. And I will tell you that it was so, you know, she was taken so early and it was such a horrible disease and it just ravaged her so quickly. And um, it was all so unfair. So having this moment of laughter, I think was really important for all of us, you know, using some humor to diffuse um, these very intense emotions we were all having. And to remember that it was also a celebration of her life. You know, as we were sitting there, I'm going to start crying. Sorry, you know me. Let me have a sip of water. Okay. So having said that, um, that it can be used maladaptively if you're not careful. But I found that once the connection is made, um, I think humor can be used to lighten a difficult issue. And again, help you gain perspective and increase communication. And that's the biggest thing for me about humor. It's not to deflect all the time. It's to give me perspective. It actually helps me deepen. So I think that's the way you'd have to look at it. Are you using humor to deflect so you don't have to look at something? Are you using it to really be in the moment? Like when I tell Gary to bring in an umbrella and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Um, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it can, it can again, be very bonding. So think about it. If you use humor, are you using it in a healthy way or an unhealthy way? And if it's unhealthy, how can you use it in a healthy way? Sublimation is the second one I'm going to talk about. I think I have four of these in my head. Yeah. Um, sublimation is when you find a way to do something positive instead of something negative or harming yourself when you're having a difficult time. So you might go for a run instead of punching a wall. It's something considered more positive in the culture, right? Um, you know, or, or throwing something or something. You might go play tennis or go for a walk when you're feeling overcome with an emotion. But sublimation is a defense mechanism. Um, so just know that. It's, it's, it's been called a mature, the, these adaptive ones are also called mature defense mechanisms because it's something we often learn as we get older. Um, but I know some kids who sublimate, so, you know, and I don't think it's always so healthy there, but uh, it's a way, really, what it, sublimation is a way of redirecting strong or overwhelming feelings into something that's considered more appropriate or deemed okay. And how it can go wrong is how I often see this show up with my clients as maybe workaholism or excessive exercise, you know, it's you know, if you feel great at work, right? Let's say you feel like a crappy parent, but you know, you feel really good at work, you get positive feedback and all that. So you will take these overwhelming feelings about feeling like a crappy parent at home and you will work too much. You'll be at work way more than you need to be. So you don't have to deal with the interpersonal relationships. What's sad, of course, is that then the interpersonal relationships suffer because you're working so much and then you avoid them even more because they're really falling apart. So it, it's like, it can be a nasty little cycle there. So again, if you're aware that you, you know, I go meditate when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I go, that's great sublimation. You know, that that's a good use of that. It's very conscious. I know that I'm having a lot of feelings. So I might go meditate, take a minute. I might call my bestie Rhonda. I might call my other, my other really good friend, uh, Stephanie. I might, you know, I might, um, cook. I cook. I, I use food a lot. Um, Obviously, if I was stuffing my face with a package of Oreos, <laughs> that would not be good. That's not sublimation because that's not like a positive right thing. But if I'm cooking for the people I love, that's seen as more of a positive thing, right? I hope that all makes sense with what sublimation is. The third one I want to talk about is altruism. And this is one of my favorite, more helpful defense mechanisms. And, and it's helping others. I know. And in these cases, you deal with something anxiety producing or upsetting by doing something for someone else. And in this way, you can fulfill, you're really fulfilling your own needs of calmness or peace. And 
for example, for me, whenever I have felt tight with money in my life, whenever it seemed, you know, those weeks you have where it seems like every penny you've made is just going out the window. You're like, I made a money apparently. And I'm just, I'm just flicking off the Benjamins here. Uh, what I always do is I stop and I will write a check to a charity, like in that moment, or these days you don't write checks, but you know what I mean? That is my reaction to anytime money feels tight. I think of doing, first of all, like how great, how blessed we are, all the good things, right? How, how much grace is in my life and how much abundance I have and how much more I have than so many people. So it helps. So it's a really wonderful thing to do, right? To give, um, to donate to, a, you know, charities that I believe in. And I feel better for it. Like it takes me out, of, for me, it takes me out of my head. And one more time, it gives me perspective. That's what I love about it. When I'm doing something nice for someone else, it gives me perspective. Um, it helps me shift my emotions in a moment from fear to love. And that always helps. And by the way, just from a brain perspective, which I've talked about so many, so many times in the podcast, you know, when you're in that fear mode and your amygdala is lit up, you're not accessing the rational, you know, your prefrontal cortex, your neocortex, you're not rational, you're not accessing the rational love-based part of your brain, uh, parts of your brain. And so you really can't, you know, you're just seeing kind of red and you're not really, uh, seeing the situation for what it is. So it's it's helpful on so many levels when you're feeling that way to think of doing something. If you're angry at your spouse or your partner, one of the best things you can do is do a random act of kindness for them. Do something though that they cannot know it's you so you don't get upset later that they didn't say thank you. <laughs> so, or try to do something where they don't know it's you. Um, Really just with your heart, whole heart, do something loving for them and you will find that you feel better and that it strengthens the relationship when you're in a bad place. It's just, I got to tell you, love, love is the answer a lot. Um, but anyway, so it, it brings us back to rationality and collaboration in a, in a wonderful way. And again, as with others, if you go too far with this, you end up with maladaptive behaviors like codependency and people pleasing. Obviously, that is not what we're trying to do. This needs to come from a certain place. And then I think the last one I'm going to talk about for these adaptive ones is something called suppression. Now, now uh, so it's very similar. Don't confuse suppression with repression that I mentioned earlier. Suppression is consciously keeping kind of yucky information from your conscious mind, while repression, it's the same, but it's unconscious. So it's unconsciously keeping things from your conscious mind in, in, right? I know that's repression. We don't, repression is not good, but suppression can be really, really helpful. So in this case, um, you might clearly remember, you know, you were abused as a kid, let's say but you do some therapy and then you consciously choose not to think about it or talk about it all the friggin' time because it makes you feel bad. And you've done some work and you're ready to find some ways to move on. It comes up sometimes, right? There'll be a little trigger. And then that's when you might use um, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive therapy, cognitive reframing, all things I've talked about in the podcast, go do searches on those terms. Um, you might use something like that so that you can uh, think yourself through it differently and again, sort of put it away. This is not compartmentalization in the maladaptive way. It would be more kind of akin to com compartmentalization in a very healthy way where you're, con again, conscious that you're doing it. That makes all the difference when, when your conscious is driving your behavior, which is very little of the time, frankly, or when you're unconscious or subconscious is driving it, which is most of the time, which is often the problem. Uh, I lied. I'm going to give one more. I just thought of one more. <laughs> Another adaptive one is anticipation. And let me talk about, so this is when people use this defense mechanism, again, in a healthy way is when someone spends time thinking about you're thinking about what could go wrong and then taking steps to mitigate it or, or, or avoid it. So 
in, in the case of it being healthy, you might be someone, let's say you have a job interview coming up. And so, you know, you spend some time, you're nervous about the job interview, right? You really want this job. So you spend some time learning about the company, feeling like you know who they're about. You spend some time even in, in uh, doing some research on the people who are going to be interviewing you. Um, you know what I mean? You Maybe you role play the interview process with someone. If you're doing um, a lot of my data people that I have in my practice, data analysts and things like that, they often have to do a a physical presentation, you know, uh, uh, some kind of PowerPoint-y kind of thing. Um, so you might practice that with someone else, you know, and all of that is great because it's attempts to decrease your anxiety and you feel like, okay, I feel as prepared as I can be. This feels good. But once again, if you're obsessing about this interview and staying up all night worrying, it's not a healthy response. If no matter how much you look up, it's not enough. And oh my God, and what if this person does it? You know, obviously that's crazy town and not what I'm talking about. But in general, you know, thinking of things and trying to maybe uh, anticipate what could happen and trying to um, be prepared, that's that's fine. Uh, again, it's just, you, you don't want to be overly prepared or obsessing. Okay. So let's get, my tips are quick. So, so I'm just going to rattle these off because these, these are the, my three tips for coping with unhealthy defense mechanisms. And I think you have guessed them and I'm just going to say them out loud. The first tip is self-awareness. And of course, mindfulness, I cannot say enough about how important it is to learn more about yourself and understand why you do what you do. And I've written a lot about increasing your self-awareness and being more mindful. So I'm not, I'm just not going deep into that here. What I will recommend as a starting point, if you, you know, go back and listen to my episodes on these things, again, look up the keywords, you can do it. it what I would recommend as a starting point is to ask three trusted people in your life for feedback about and ask them to name uh, three strengths and two limitations or three strengths and three limitations if you want to do it that way. Uh, and then spend some time, you know, but then do something with that. Spend some time shoring up your strengths and working on your limitations. Think about it, you know, and if you ask three people, let's say for three the things, you'll probably get the same thing over and over. You'll be surprised. The same strengths and the same limitations. So it's, you know, but it's nice to go like, okay, this is the kind of preponderance of evidence of these things. And so you don't hear the limitations and go, oh, I know I've tried and nothing works. I mean, that's just such crap, right? Instead, you're like, okay, I really got, you know, I've tried before to tackle my controlling behavior. It sounds like something I still have to work on. What haven't I tried? Or have I tried something in the past, but now I'm in a different place in my life and I could do, I could try that again and do better. You know, you, you want to be thinking that way. Uh, tip number two is to try therapy or coaching. There isn't a person I can name in the whole wide world whose life wouldn't be made better by some good counseling or some targeted maybe coaching if you really don't believe in therapy. It's all about finding something or someone who's that right fit. I've said again, it's like dating. When that happens, you can really make inroads into self-awareness and change. I, I just have to say that. And then I would say tip number three is to be open to learning. If you're using some of the unhealthy or again, maladapted defense mechanisms, it's time to be open to learning some new and healthier coping strategies to deal with your you know, thoughts and emotions. So it can mean reading books, attending workshops, uh, listening diligently to my wonderful podcast, or any number of things that for you are going to expand your horizons and practice new skills. But the big key is you have to practice. Listening right now is great, but if you don't take action steps, you'll, you're not going to get very far. Attending a workshop or reading a great book is also awesome, but if you don't have, you know, clear, actionable takeaways, you're not going to change your behavior. Reading and listening, I know what happens, you know, you read the book and then you read another book and another book and another book. And it's like, just like when my boundaries made easy book comes out, if you were to read that and do everything I have in there, I've got, so, you know me, there's, it's so packed full of action steps. I can't even tell you in all the different areas, very, very targeted little areas, you know, what to do when people won't take no for an answer. You know, it's like targeted tips uh, when they're passive aggressive. What to do? Here's a targeted tips, right? Here's the three-step process to creating your boundaries. And, you know, here's what, you know, here's how you enact them. I mean, I get so nitty gritty in this friggin' book. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm 
again, really proud of it. If you were to do everything in that book and just do it, you know, not every, you don't have to do everything. Actually, that's the beauty, you, you know, but pick out the ones that are hard for you. Obviously do everything about making your boundaries and how to hold them and all that. But then to really focus on the areas that you have, you're a little limited in, just do that and focus on one thing a week or a month and you will find your life changing drastically without a doubt, without a doubt. But what people do, what I find people do over and over is that they listen, but then they don't do the work. They don't do what's next. And it's, I say all the time, it's like wanting to get fit. If you meet with a trainer once a week and do nothing else, you don't change your food, you don't work out on your own, you don't go for longer, you know, you don't walk farther, you know, you don't choose to walk more stairs or whatever, you're not going to get fit. You're going to learn a lot about fitness. You're going to understand a lot about fitness, but I don't know how fit you're going to actually be, or it's going to take friggin' forever to get fit. But the, when you start changing the things in between, that's how you get fitness. And I will tell you to a person, the clients I have, the couples, the individuals who do the fucking homework that I send, who do, because I send homework after my sessions, when they do the homework, when they fall through my recommendations, they get better quickly. Those are the people who are not in therapy very long. Those are the, or who maybe are in therapy longer because they just love it. They're finding it like their life is changing so dramatically. Um, these are the people who are really making inroads into a new way of being and finding it not so hard <laughs> every time. But when I have couples who start and say, I didn't have time to do the homework. We haven't sat down yet. We haven't done it. Or an individual does the same thing. It's like, I don't know, you know, I'm going to keep, I love you and I'm going to try to help you, but I can only go so far if you won't pick up the ball at home. Again, if you're not going to change your eating every day, if you're still eating like crap, even if you met with your trainer twice a week, you're only going to get, or three times a week, you're only going to get so fit. You really have to look at your daily activities, your daily thinking, all that to, to really make change. So, ooh, see, little Jewish mother bossiness there. Just to close out the episode, you know I love you. You know that's why, oh, I see it for you. I see your life. I know you can do it. I literally thousands in this almost 40 years now I've been doing this, literally thousands of people. I, I hear from you. I get emails from people who are doing the tips and changing their life. So I know you can too. These people all over the world, all different walks of life. I've been, again, doing this a long time. I'm telling you, you can do it. I have absolute faith in you. Do not get overwhelmed with the process. Do one tiny thing, one small thing. So it's all you gotta do. It's all you gotta do. Choose the one thing and, and stick with that and just do that until it feels good or better or easier. And then maybe take on one more thing that it just, you know, slow and steady goes the race. Okay. That is it for today, for this week. Love you so, so much. Uh, yeah. Have an amazing week and know that, uh, know that I'm over here caring about you. All right. Take care and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. And I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you. Anything. You can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.